Welcome to the Rogue O Tours podcast once again. This is uh, part two of our M Night Shyamalan rankings, and we're gonna pick it up right from number five. So, do you want to hit number five then? Yeah, I'll hit number five. Oh, it's fun just to talk about it. <laughs> My number five is the visit. Oh, nice. Yeah. Uh, the... I support it there. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Um, <laughs> This is the beginning of the new wave Shyamalan. Yeah. Uh, which I, you said you love it as that, basically, as his new comeback. Yeah. Um, I think Very it's worthy of that. that. Yeah. Like, it took me these couple years to see it, but I mm-hmm. saw it and I saw what people saw. I know that sounds dumb. Yeah. But like, oh yeah, I see why you were all back on the bandwagon that I've been on the whole time. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so, I think I saw this the day it came out, the Friday, in theaters, um, and I'm so glad I did, because this is... That pretty much made the movie for me the first time. Um, I watched it... <coughs> excuse me again. I watched it with a very raucous, uh, reactive crowd in a theater. And it, it was like a roller coaster, right? Like, <laughs> it was so fun. I know some people hate that. Um, to be with a crowd that's, you know, very noisily reacting to the movie. But I loved it. It made if it so much noisy, more noisy, positive reaction, I'm all about it. Yeah. Oh, yeah, there were screams of terror, you know, when the grandma comes crawling at them under the house and they're playing hide-and-seek. Oh, and... she's, like, whispering, I'm gonna get you. Yeah, oh, oh my, my gosh. gosh. <laughs> that gave me chills. Um, uh, yeah, and just people were, like, screaming with, like, laughter and confusion when you, you like, see the grandma's butt or whatever. Um, <laughs> scratching the walls. Yeah, yeah. Um, Oh, yeah. yeah, two butt shots for the grandma, actually. Yeah, too. <laughs> a bold actress. Spoiler alert. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> bold actress. So it, um, it just, like, really heightened the emotion of the whole movie for me to see it in that setting. Um, when I rewatched it, not in a theater full of people, it was... I wasn't quite as high on it, but I still thought it was a really well-made... Yeah. Um, kind of comeback for M. Night. Uh, it, he just... I don't know. It's, like, the most... Not the most, but I just like how visually confident it is. I love the day transitions where you have, like, the, like, sudden shot of, like, snowy, I don't know, or just, like, whiteness and the red letters that say a day of the week. Yeah. I love that. I love that aesthetic. Um, and he just does a lot of things that I really like. I love the very end sequence. Um, kind of spoilers, but just the way he pairs, uh, like, an old-timey song, um, as they're running out of the house, uh... At some point. At some point, yeah. Um, just paired with everything that has happened. It's just, I don't know. It's a very fun way to end the movie. Um, and feels very kind of artistically formed. Uh, like you said, there's not that much to really feel, I guess, in the visit. Like, they they do go for, like, the sentimental daughter story. Um, sure. Which isn't necessarily... I mean, either neither time I watched it did I feel like. Yeah, but it felt like it worked as far as why am I? Why is this girl even making this movie? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Why is she even doing this? So it gave a reason for like the found footage feel to yeah, exist. Yeah, no, uh-huh. right? it totally yeah. it totally works for the plot. And yeah, by, yeah, yeah. And by the way, the found footage is is good. I think. It, yeah, it's not bad. I th- I expected to like it less. Mm-hmm. And I thought it's a really confidently made movie. Yeah, exactly. It's very confident. Which is what I love about M Night. Like he's yeah. coming off all these lambasted movies. And it and the visit is so confident. Yeah, it's like this dude knows like he has the talent. Right. Yeah. Good for him for not letting it get to him too much. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I do. I I will note that, uh, especially with these all these kind of top six movies that I have, the the visit is probably the least has the least to work with in terms of like themes. I guess right. it's more. It's pretty much a purely shock entertainment value shock value thriller. Yeah. 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 But it's a really, but that's really fine. good that's fine. It's really one. a good one, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, visit. awesome. Um, and my number five, is, those of you who listen to us a lot, if you if you subscribe to the podcast or you follow us a lot, it's probably the one that you'll most take me to task for, but, you know, it's whatever. Uh, my number five is Lady in the Water. And uh, I have an even bigger chip on my shoulder about Lady in the Water than I do about After Earth. And... I find it to be fascinating that M. Night basically just takes on what, like, the troubles people have been giving him. Like, there's some blatant stuff. There's a critic in it who's a jerk. (laughs) 
and he's just a jerk the whole time and he's great the the actor uh, Bob Balaban um, anyway he's a jerk and there's a lot of weird stuff in it and it's a lot of explaining yeah and it's a lot, lot of like a lot of explaining and this is where maybe there's a big difference for me between Lady in the Water and other people I think and I and I'm you know a lot of, a lot of people disagree I think that the actors sell the heck out of it and I and maybe that's where I part ways with a lot of people because I think Paul Giamatti is fantastic in it I think Bryce Dallas Howard is good she's doing a variation on what she did in the village um, but she's really good you have Jeffrey Wright who's just like this incredible actor he's been in a lot of smaller stuff and everyone loves him and he's in this small role oh yeah he is in it um, yeah yeah and I think he's really good and there are some there are some stereotypes as far as race and, and some things um, but the realism of it again for me personally never fails and I credit the actors 100% M. Night does some great stuff here there are some shots I really love there are some moments I really love and I watched it again because it had been a while and it just confirmed for me the emotional reaction I have to Lady in the Water, which is why it's five, which is why something like The Village for me wasn't up at five because I have a very emotional reaction to Lady in the Water. There are a lot of things related to it. Some of it is just thinking about loss. Some of it is thinking about like children. Um, the idea of telling bedtime stories, the idea of believing in something greater than yourselves um, and I'm not even a big fantasy guy, you know, but there are just some really interesting moments to me, especially at the end when the community kind of comes together and the way he has to continually go to this, this, uh, old Asian grandma to yeah. get her to explain the story. Mm -hmm. And again, there's a lot of signature M night humor that I'm really on board with. Um, and still some fantastic shots in it, even in a movie that uh, was pretty ripped. Um, and I, the story I, is weak because it hinges just on like, like we said, a lot of explaining. Oh, you know, there's this world we're making up. Oh, this world exists. Oh, it's a fairy tale. Let's keep talking about the fairy tale. Let's try to fill things in. Mm -hmm. um, but I didn't care because I'm, I'm emotionally invested in Lady in the Water every time. And I give all the credit to Paul Giamatti and Bryce Dallas Howard especially. Um, I mean, and there are a couple of scenes. Jeffrey Wright where he's reading this crossword in one scene. And... It should totally be a boring scene, but I just think he is so compelling to me all the time, Jeffrey Wright. Um, and M. Knight's in it, and he's not a great actor per se, but he has a really oh, yeah. cool relationship with his sister in it that I think works really well and is very realistic. It's the best bit of writing for me that he does in the movie is, with, with the exception of some of Paul Giamatti's stuff, is this relationship between M. Knight's character and his sister. And there's some very self-important stuff in it, which I know turned people off, because M. Knight basically, he's playing a character in it who's going to write something that's going to change the world. <laughs> and, so, and so that, when people criticize that, I'm like, you're right. You know, I don't defend that. Like, yeah. that's what I was saying earlier, is I don't go, no, no. He's not like, yeah, he's being kind of self-important. It's true, he is. But at the same time, I, I believe in the power of art to change people. And I think he has, some of the criticisms he puts very bluntly in it are correct. Like, how do you presume to know what people mean? And, and you know, like, why are you holding somebody, why are you criticizing somebody for not doing what you wanted them to do? Yeah. Which is what the village suffered from, is people thought they were getting one movie, they got a different movie, and that made them mad. I'm like, but this other movie is better than the movie you thought you were going to see, gosh darn it. Yeah. So, go with that movie. It's better. Right. Um, so... I don't really have a lot of defense for Lady in the Water other than it always emotionally moves me and the performances I think really work uh, in transcending what was basically a rant by by M. Night yeah that's cool um, yeah and you just kind of made me think about how like I don't know I think the movies that deserve the worst criticism are the ones um, <coughs> where you, feel, you know everyone just showed up, you know, to, like... And it's just not original, it's not um, creative, it's not saying anything. And I'll give Lady in the Water is original and creative. Yeah. And, like, and most of these movies are, with, with the exception of, like, The Happening, you know, or something like... But most of the time, even if you don't like it, like, M. Night is going for something very fully formed and complete and something original that he wants to share. Right. And, 
I feel like that should not be criticized as harshly as something that just clearly got slapped together to make money, you know? Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. And he's not somebody who's going to slap something together most of the time. Right, yeah. A last mm-hmm. airbender, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. Um, all right. My number four, and I'm not going to say a ton because Jake covered a lot of it, but my number four is Signs. Um, I've always liked Signs. Signs has some, some hokey biz at the end. Um, one of the things I was going to say is Signs has some great bit of writing. I, I've mentioned a lot of times that I do teach English. And uh, we talk about choosing precise details, and we'll show the first. It's like, with besides the credits, it's like three or four minutes. The first three or four minutes of the movie, and they establish so much. Um, a lot of the script for Signs is some of the best writing M Night has done, in my opinion. He establishes like the relationship between Joaquin Phoenix and Mel Gibson in seconds. He lets you know Mel Gibson lost his faith with a, a cross missing on the wall. He lets you know the kids are very precocious and they do things by themselves. And then the crop circles appear and it's in like three minutes. Yeah, It's a masterful writing. Um, and there's a lot of that in Signs. For some people it goes off the rails. I go with him into that final kind of hokey thing we talked about, the connection. They make a connection between when Mel Gibson's wife passed away which they also established in the first three minutes by the way right. you see the picture of her and then he wakes up alone I mean it's the, it's great stuff at the beginning um, and there's hilarious stuff in Signs as well yeah, Joaquin Phoenix funny. is very funny um, the relationships feel incredibly formed there's a scene where they're at the dinner table and Mel Gibson starts crying and it works I think it works it very well the end's a little hokier if the end had stuck the landing I might have it a two or one because I'm, I'm a, such a huge fan of the first three quarters of that movie. And M. Knight is in it too. And it's, it, to me, it's some of the best acting that he's done. Because he's not a great actor. Sorry. We love your movies. But he's not a great actor. In Split, it's fun because he's only in it for like a minute. It's just like a throwaway little, yeah. little thing in Split. Um, anyway, I don't want to say too much more about Signs. It's, it was a favorite. It made a lot of money. A lot of people liked it. Gutsy of M. Knight to make a movie about believing in God. Yeah. And finding your faith. Disguised as an alien movie. And so I appreciate those ending things. Um, as a person who believes in spirituality in whatever ways, I'm not going to get into that, but uh, I, I loved what he did. And um, I can't fault him for the hokiness of that ending, but it's enough to push it down to number four for me. Okay. Yeah. Um, number yeah, four. I can't it, believe it, we didn't mention his cameos until now. Yeah, yeah. Wait, did you? You already did four, huh? Uh, no. no, I haven't done four. Oh, good. I'm excited to hear what your four is. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're into, like, the... We're into, like, the love section. Oh, yeah. My much. top three, I consider... Like, if I made a top 20 list of all time, they'd all be in They're contention. They're all in it. Okay. They're all in contention. In contention, sorry. I can't say for sure they would be in it. But <laughs> three they would all, is a lot. They would all be on the short list okay. that had to be considered. Right. Yeah. Okay. I will defend this movie to the death. I have talked about it on the podcast before. My number four is The Village. M. Night Shyamalan's The Village. Yeah. <laughs> I just like pairing that one with his name more than the others for some reason. Um, and, oh yeah, also you mentioned after the credits in Signs and it reminded me of how he used to do that. I don't think he does that anymore. Uh, the longer credits? The opening credits. Yeah, the, the like, Village like and the Signs have great opening credit sequences. Yeah. I use the the Village opening credit sequence in my film lit class. Oh, do you? To talk about music setting the mood. Right. I don't want to hijack yours. I want you to talk about no, The Village. Me. But Beyonce had the best video of all time. <laughs> no, uh, uh, when I saw The Village, people were talking through the opening credits and I was ticked. Because I was like, this is part of the movie, guys. We're right. supposed to be getting in the zone right now. Yeah. And James Newton Howard, I think he did the music. Mm-hmm. I, I can't say for sure, but I think he did. He's trying to get me in the mood right now, and you're all harshing my vibe. Right. And yeah. I was very mad because okay, that good. opening credits I thought was essential to what the village was doing. Yeah. And a very good, um, I don't know, kind of like just like throwback, you know, to the way movies used to be made. It's like when a director does chooses to do that. Um, you at the very least know they're saying that they believe that what they're about to show you is worth not having names flash by, you know, like, right. uh, through the beginning. Like, they want to show you a complete story that's uninterrupted. Um, so, anyway, The Village is exciting from the beginning. I talked about it on our Underrated Movies podcast because I really believe it's one of the most underrated and misunderstood movies Maybe ever. of all time. Probably of all time. Um, you know what? While Jake is talking, the mm-hmm. the village is my number three. 
Okay. So, so I'm just gonna go as you go, and we'll just go yeah, back we'll and forth. Go. The Village is my number three, and it's it it is a movie I judge people on. And I'm sorry if you're a friend of mine and you're listening and you don't like The Village. You don't have to tell me. But when people say they don't like it, I am like, oh, cool. But in my head, I'm like, you don't get it. Yeah. And it makes me kind of mad. So like, yeah, people don't like it. Um, I kind of researched why. Um, I was from like the critical standpoint at least, and I guess people said it was like a really bad post nine eleven metaphor or something about uh, the government. I don't know. Um, I'm sh- I'm shaking my head in disgust <laughs> right now. Right. Uh, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great story on its own. Like I. I don't care if it was a metaphor. I don't care if that's true or not because I've never even thought. I've never. I I try and translate movies to metaphors all the time, and I've never even thought to with the village because I'm so engrossed by the like uh, scenario and um, world and characters that M Night establishes with it. Um, it has. It's a great. Uh, what's the word? It's like a great source for to even think about like themes and stuff like that. But I guess I'm just not mad if it seems to be a theme that. I don't know, it was obvious or people don't like, I don't know. Um, so anyway, what an ingenious movie, uh, suffered from advertising, Yes. which I probably talked about on the underrated podcast. So see that, I guess people thought it was going to be way more horror centric than it was. I had a professor in college who was saying how the village wasn't good. And this is a film professor of mine who I respect and I still respect him. He is fantastic. And he said, it promised one thing, and then it was another. And I think I talked about this at the be- at the top of this podcast today. Um, who cares? Who cares? The thing that it ended up being, to me, is way better than the thing it could have been if it exactly. stayed as this horror movie. It had so much more to say. And, and surprises you with the direction that it takes. Right. Yeesh. And I, I know it's hard to separate it. I talked about how Lady in the Water was impacted. My opinion of it was impacted by how high I was on the village. It's hard to separate those things. But at the end of the day, I think... And I want to be able to judge Lady in the Water more fairly because I don't think that a movie should be judged based on things outside of it, you know? Right. Like it's advertising. But it's like impossible not, you know, it not is impossible. to sometimes, yeah. Yeah. Um, but really, if you can look at the village on its own, it's an incredible piece of work. Um, I, if I was proficient in editing, I would want to do like a recut trailer, you know, that portrays yeah. it as a drama. Cause what if it had been advertised as just a drama and then all these other elements just turned out to be extra? I yeah. bet it would have done a lot better. Oh you know? yeah. And, and let me talk about some of the movie making really quick. The production design is gorgeous. Roger Deakins shot it. One of the most prolific and celebrated cinematographers of our generation shot it. Um, and it's beautiful. It is. Uh, great performances. You have another sly, sly performance from Joaquin Phoenix, uh, Sigourney Weaver, and uh, William Hurt, I think. Yeah, I think so. Um, and Bryce Dallas Howard, who was not well known at the time. She was almost this nobody. This is her first big role. This yeah. Is, yeah. And she's really good. So she plays good. a blind girl, and she sells the blindness. Yeah. Adrian Brody, who could have been a little more, uh, I mean, could have, he plays a mentally challenged uh, man, and could have done a lot of the same stuff we see with that and I thought he takes it in a very interesting direction. Yeah. Um every single thing in the movie is important to what the movie eventually is. Yeah. Every single thing. Yeah. And there's a, a and I I've read this especially recently researching for this podcast. There is a, a, a there are a couple surprises. And one of the surprises a lot of people said, "Oh, you see it coming. You see it coming forever." cool that's fine if you saw it coming that's not a big deal to me i'll let you say that or whatever but to me the movie doesn't suffer even if you just know that well and i, I personally knew it. i did know it i knew every twist in the movie beforehand and i still loved it like someone told you or you just guessed them? yeah i talked about this on the other one my parents oh, told forgot. me the whole thing i forgot this <laughs> yeah and that's the thing that baffled me is people are like well i saw it coming i'm like who cares what an incredible movie like yeah and and Jake is a testament to that. He knew everything that was going to happen. But mm-hmm. that I mean, and I've seen this movie second most of any of the movies that we're going to name. Um, this is remember this is Jake's number four and my number three. Second most of any of the movies, and it's always good. I it I have never watched it and been like, oh, now it's suffering. I've seen it ten times. No, mm-hmm. not at all. I'm appreciating new things. Yeah, I'm. It's it is. Oh man, yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, we have a lot of love for it, yeah, as you know. We do. Which means we have a lot of love for the three Jake's about to mention and the two I'm about to mention after this because we're at four and three and we're effusive right now about the village. We are. The cast keeps on giving. Um, you didn't even mention Judy Greer, right? I didn't even mention Judy and Greer. And Jesse Eisenberg. And Jesse Eisenberg in one of his first, uh, maybe not one of his first, but well, it's very before, he, before he was well known. Yeah, I don't think his character has a name. He's yeah. just like a townsperson. Man, Judy Greer and Joaquin Phoenix have a scene at the beginning uh, that is a genius editing and genius acting that's hilarious and yeah. makes me laugh almost every time as well. It is really good. Um, lots of long takes in yeah. that movie and a lot of his earlier movies, maybe all of his movies in general, which really impressed me rewatching them because that wasn't something... It wasn't as prevalent. Yeah. And I, hadn't, and I had never thought to... I, that wasn't something I looked for when I was younger, you know? I didn't notice it and so... Now, just being aware of cinematography and stuff, I was really impressed with how many long takes he does in all his movies. Yeah. Um, when I was watching The Village, uh, there's um, a scene where Bryce Dallas Howard's dad is talking to her, and they're like crouched on the ground, and the shot starts like a, um, what's it called when their full bodies are in frame? It's like a long shot. Long shot, I guess, yeah. right? Um, and it's like slowly zooming in on them while they're talking, and it. I suddenly realized that it was like just their heads in it and it hadn't cut away. And I was like, it's going to cut away. Like they're going, they're look, going down to look at something. It's going to cut away. But it, it just, the camera slowly moves down to what they're looking at and back up to them. Like it's like multiple minutes. Yeah. And M night does that all the time in his earlier movies. It's yeah. great. And it really sells the realism I think as well. Yeah. Plus adds that artistic effect where you're just like, Oh, I love what you're doing here. You right. know? Yeah. Yeah. It's good. And there's some really, there are some great, there's some great stuff with William Hurt and Sigourney Weaver that's just kind of a small part of the plot that ends up playing a bigger role about, you know, sometimes we, the things we most want to do is why we don't do them. I'm messing it up just like what, what King Phoenix does <laughs> in the movie. <laughs> um, and then I personally, I think its message about fear and the things that fear makes us do is, is uh, incredibly deep and resonant and yeah. means a lot to me. The final scenes of the movie they don't move me to tears. They move me to like, like reflection every time. Yeah. It moves me to reflection every time. Good. Yeah. Okay, nice. What are we on? Much love. You're on number three. I'm on number three. And I am excited because I, I mean, I if know. you, by process of elimination, yeah. if you're listening, you know, you know, uh, you know what my top two are. You don't know the order. You know what Jake's top three are. And I, I'm very curious about the order since... One of these movies is really new. I know. This is going to be a big reveal. <laughs> My number three is actually Unbreakable. Ooh, okay. Which is hurtful to you, I mm. know. It doesn't hurt me. Okay. With the praise you just gave to the village and having Unbreakable at, at number three. I know. For it being above what you just, you know. The thing is. Um, gave such love to. It's actually really hard for me to praise Unbreakable as much because I'm not as familiar with it. Um, I owned it like in my during my M Night Love phase, but I just didn't watch it as much M. as the rest. Love phase. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but for some reason, I haven't. I think I like lost it at some point. Like I haven't seen it as many times as the other ones, but I really, really like it. Yeah. It's um, definitely it's would be nice to have now coming out now. You know, like after all the superhero fatigue. So I guess good thing he's gonna do Unbreakable too. Um, spoilers by <laughs> about news, I guess. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> I hope that he keeps that one as I don't know fresh and like yeah, because he didn't really have superhero conventions to buck at that point. No, um, but he did movies. anyway. That's but what's so did. funny. Yeah, mm-hmm. is he bucked all the current trends? Yeah, which w- he wasn't bucking trends. He was creating new trends that no one followed. Right. Yeah. And now you see the new ones, and you go back to it's like, oh, he's bucking all the trends. Like, no, no, he created the trends, and all the losers didn't follow the trends. <laughs> right. Yeah. Exactly. Um, <laughs> but yeah, definitely a lesser, slightly lesser known. Probably not. I probably made a lot of money in its time. It but... made an okay amount of money. It disappointed people. I had a big opening weekend, and then went down a little bit because okay. word of mouth wasn't as strong. Right. Yeah. Um. Pro- I don't think it's seen as much as a classic of M. Night. It's more of a scene. It's, it's kind of like an underdog almost. Yeah. In his repertoire. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I yeah, agree. I really I really like it. Great performances from Bruce Willis and Samuel L. Jackson. Yeah, and uh, Robin Robin Wright and Robin Wright Penn. And, yeah. And uh, <laughs> even the son. Uh, maybe Spencer Treat Clark. I can't remember for sure if oh, that's yeah. his name. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good stuff. Uh, the gun scene 
so should, good. should be iconic. Oh yeah, not. it goes to handheld, mm-hmm. and everything. And there's like a moment of humor in it, like levity that kind of eases the tension a little bit. Yeah. Uh, and we don't shoot our friends, do we, Audrey? Don't shoot friends. Yeah. <laughs> I forget what her exact line is. But... Yeah. No, it's good. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, real. I think no I think... shooting friends. That's no what she shooting. Says. Friends. Sorry, I just had, I had to get it right. I didn't want yeah. to mess it up. Uh, I think one thing that detracted me from it when I was younger is, uh, kind of like the last act, um, which I now really appreciate, but when I was younger, like, I don't know, it just wasn't a very intelligent movie watcher, I guess. Uh, but this, the train station, I think it is, sequence, um, it didn't all make sense to me when I was younger. Now it's like easier to tell what he's trying to indicate with visual cues and stuff. When I was younger, I was just like, is this stuff people already did or that they're going to do? Um, the people wearing red, I was like kind of confused because it's so obvious that it seems like it's like an actual plot point that they're wearing red, but he's just going for the symbolism. Right. Right. right, right. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, but now I really like that sequence, um, and everything that happens after it. And of course, the music that is paired with it. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, great. it's um, a really interesting movie. I'm glad he made it and that it kind of like exists on its own. There's like a reference to Kryptonite, I think. But other than that, I don't know. I don't know if there's issues with like uh, rights and stuff. Copyright but yeah. I don't know if he could have been referencing superheroes for the entire movie, but I liked that he didn't and that yeah. it almost took place in this world where. It's like comic books exist, and like that's a big part of the movie, but you're not talking about individual superheroes the whole time, and like that I don't know creates this unique feel where it's like about these characters and not about anyone's attachment to to comic books you know? right similar vibe to his most recent movie in some ways <laughs> um yeah i'm I don't want to talk about it yet. I'm going to talk okay. about it later, yeah. yeah, I know you have a lot of love. Yeah, I have a lot of love. Uh, do you want to hit number two? And then I'll do two one, and then uh, jump yeah. on board with your one. Yeah, yeah. I'll hit number two. Jake's number two. Here we go. <laughs> it's split. Okay. <laughs> Good. I know. Listen, though. No, no, no. I love for split. I love for split. Jake and I saw it together, and uh, uh, I was impressed with a lot of what it did, especially on the budget. Yeah. Uh, as I mentioned earlier. Um. It, but I still would have been surprised if a movie that came out a week and a half ago yeah, was number it's one. brand new. I've seen it once. With time and with repeat viewings, it Could. it does have potential to overtake my number one for reasons I'll talk about. Mm. Uh, kind of recent, my last viewing reasons. Um, uh, I was really blown away by Split. Uh, it had everything I wanted. Like, there was literally one thing I can name. Which is spoilery, so I won't name it. Anyway, there's one thing that happens towards the end of the movie, like, for, like, a few seconds that I didn't like, that kind of, like, brought me out, that was, I was like, okay, that's one step too far for the world the movie has set up for me. Well, not even. I don't know. Anyway. Beside the point. Beside the point. Um, Anyway. But what I'm saying is I can pinpoint that one thing, and the rest of the movie is, like, pure gold 100% for me. Nice. Um, I really loved it. I loved the cinematography, which I with joy found out afterwards was by the guy who did it follows um that cinematography is like if i were to make a list of everything i love in cinematography it checked every single box uh really unexpectedly i don't know just artistic i guess for an m night movie especially considering if it's part of this new m night wave like i don't know the visit might have seemed like it was establishing we're gonna only go for Cheap thrills, right. um, but I feel like splits uh, shows that that's not true. Yeah, I mean, kind of controversially, we're still figuring out. I'm still figuring out how I feel about it, but did work in bigger themes, you know, and bigger emotions, um, way more than the visit did. I feel. Oh yeah, and in ways that that worked. Um, it was just a unexpected plot points and a lot to digest. Um, but a very tense movie. There were parts that gave me chills. Um, oh yeah. Yeah, I really like, I don't know, it was so confident, like we've talked about, yes. M. Night movies are so confident, this movie just kept chugging along, it knew what it was doing, um, James McAvoy, my gosh. Mm, James. <laughs> James, and Anya was great. Uh, Jamesy James. James, I, I would love it if he was remembered at the end of the year, but I don't think he will. It's That's, too early, and it's a genre movie, and it's genre. just, bias. Yeah. 
Uh, terrible bias, but bias nonetheless. Right. Um, yeah, I don't know what else to say about it that um, I haven't already said other than go see it. It's, yeah. it's amazing. Tell us what you think, too, via Twitter, uh, on our website, on Facebook, uh, on the Facebook Live video. Uh, let us know. Um, I said I was going to do my two-in-one, but that doesn't make any sense because my two and it's Jake's one by process of elimination the are the same. Uh, so my number two M. Night Shyamalan movie is uh, The Sixth Sense, which is for, I mean, it technically it was his third movie because okay, he made this right. Praying with Anger in 1992. He made Wide Awake in 1995, which came out in 1998. Uh, I cannot say anything about Praying with Anger, but the step up from <laughs> Wide Awake to The Sixth Sense is one of the largest chasms that anyone has ever jumped over. From one movie to the next. Yeah. Um, the Sixth Sense is, you know, it's clockwork. It's perfect in a lot of ways. It's, I think, the only one of these that unequivocally gets better on second viewing. I think other ones did two for me. The Village, uh, my number one, uh, which Jake already talked about. Uh, but The Sixth Sense, like, it's, it's like it was made to be um, scrutinized a second time. It was made knowing when this ends, if we've made any mistakes, people are going to come back and they're going to tell us that we made mistakes. There's some stuff with the production design that indicates things. There's a really short cameo by Donnie Wahlberg at the beginning that's like really good. Um, Bruce Willis is great. Tony Collette is great. It's also emotionally involving. The scene at the end with Haley Joel Osment and Tony Collette makes me cry every single time. Mm-hmm. Um, and you wouldn't expect that in what is essentially a ghost story. Um, you have this idea of like, without going too much into, I mean, the movie came out 17 years ago, but without going too much, or more, 18 years ago, which I, without going too much into it, like you have this whole, you know, people who need to rectify things that happened before or whatever which has been done before and yet never like this and never so cleverly Haley Joel Osment perfect you know anchors the movie delivers the line I see dead people it's iconic now you watch it every time and it's it's never a parody at least to me I know people parody it yeah only because it's so it works so well yeah it does um you have um the story between Bruce Willis and his wife uh which on first glance seems to be one thing and on second glance is a totally different yeah. thing. And that totally different thing to me has even more resonance than what than the resonance you at first feel anyway. Yeah. Than the like emotional involvement you feel in the first place. Um and then you have kind of the the Bruce Willis is a psychiatrist is the actual term, right? A child mm-hmm. psychiatrist. And that stuff works really well, I think. The way he deals with the kid, you see he's good at his job. He, it's not movie version of that. I'm sure it is movie version of that, but to a lay person, it doesn't feel like movie yeah. version of that. It feels like a psychiatrist might talk in this way to this kid. Right. And then you just have the kind of the hell that Haley Joel Osment's character lives in because he's inundated with these specters, these ghosts who are visiting him all the time and what a, a, a creepy, terrible world it is for this kid and the way that he's trying to alleviate that. And as they work toward that alleviation, the repercussions it has for everyone involved. I mean, it's, I, I, I would say, even though it's not my number one, it is probably his best script. And, you know, that is indicative. I mean, that is, that is in line with what happens with a lot of people, with a lot of filmmakers, because they've had a script that's been percolating for years and years and years and years. And when they finally get to make it like, you know, they never can quite live up. To it, yeah, and that's the one thing about the sixth sense that sucks is that everyone's been punishing him since he made it because it's close to flawless, yeah, and and so all these people want him to keep doing it, like you said, exactly. And I like that. I like that split and the visit are not doing that thing, and people are still flocking and people are still starting to say it's good. I, I, he might be shaking loose from that, yeah. But I love that the sixth sense set him up as this filmmaker willing to take these really cool chances and when his chances when when those cool chances like uh, work there's not much that's better no there's not so the sixth sense is my number one yeah oh such a worthy number one yeah uh 
Definitely his movie I've seen the most number of times. Um, my, think... n- my number one is the same yeah. on that count. Yeah, okay, which yeah. obviously plays into our rankings. Like, we can't pretend. But, yeah, right. But at the same time, it's what kept bringing us back. Exactly, yeah. I think there was a time in my life where I was literally watching it, like, at least once a month. Like, always. Always. Um, <laughs> yeah, I showed this movie to everyone. I mean, I wasn't old enough to see it when it, uh, it came out in theaters, but... When I discovered it uh, on DVD, I like wanted every person to see it, you know. And most people, ha- well, most people my age hadn't, and so it was really fun to watch people's minds be blown every single time, you know, if they didn't already know, which a lot of people did. Um, but it, it it's so fun, uh, and it yeah, it's incredible enough that the movie doesn't. It's not a one trick pony, you know. It doesn't. It does hold up. It's better on multiple viewings. Yeah. Um, yeah, great, uh, kind of some more artistic shots and stuff, like transition scenes in The Sixth Sense, um, a little bit more so than his other movies, um, some good long takes and tracking shots, um, I, one that I noted this time was towards the beginning when, um, uh, Tony Collette is, like, getting stuff out of the laundry and then she goes out to Cole um, with his breakfast stuff, and then goes back in and comes back out, and the every all the drawers are open. Like oh, that's all man. one shot, which it's is great. such a great scene. Yeah. Um, and she's like mad at him, right? Uh-huh. No. Well, uh, perturbed. Yeah, yeah she's, maybe well, not. She's kind of always perturbed by him. True. The whole movie. True. <laughs> um, but yeah, so many iconic sequences um, and interesting things, like the freaking girls' funeral that they go to. That's like a whole movie right there with yeah. like the mom poisoning her and stuff. Yeah. Spoilers. I mean, <laughs> we're not, I'm not going to be sensitive to spoilers for, for this movie if you haven't oh, seen yeah, it. Oh, yeah. It's been a lot of years. Yeah. If you, and if you're like 10 and you're listening to this podcast, like it's just weird that you're listening to this <laughs> podcast. But. Yeah, it is weird. Um, so, kind of the things I watched, when I watched it this time, there were a couple things where I was like, I don't know. Like, I've always kind of mentally blocked this out and it's, like by my like my love for it has outshone these things, but now I'm kind of not so sure, and they're nitpicky, so I don't know. But that's just why I say split might overtake eventually, it eventually. Overtake. Can you name a nitpicky? Not like, not for me to defend, just because I want to hear. Like the biggest. I'm not going to jump in at all. Okay, okay, we can if you want. If you okay. have an answer, I would love. To I'm hear sure it. I don't. Like the biggest one is when they're in the school and he looks over and sees the dead people hanging. I think that comes after his I see dead people thing. I believe. But he says, but in that, when he, like, sets up the rule, it, like, sets up the rules for the movie, I guess, is whatever problem with that speech does. And he says that they walk around like normal people, they don't know they're dead. But then they're hanging. But then they're hanging. Yeah, I never even thought dead. about that. And so, there are just things like that where it's like, well, I don't know. Like, you, you can come up with an explanation, like, oh, well, those people don't know they're dead, and they can't walk around because they're hanging in the air. Like, so I don't know. So they're just hanging there. Yeah. And that's all they but do. But it's like, at the hey, end of the up? day. Exactly, Yeah. <laughs> But at the end of the day, I feel like it's kind of something used that's like extra misleading to make the difference between them and the other <laughs> dead person in the room at that point um, <laughs> to to further the divide between them so that it's more difficult to guess the twist in advance. Um, so little things like that. I'm just like, right. eh, maybe it's not the, I don't know. I guess I can, like, see a couple flaws in it, so I might not be, like, 100% praising Convinced. it sure. as much, but I st- it's still a super high-quality film. Oh, gosh, yes. I'm, I'm glad it is. And I, I was telling my son, who really wants to see it, I was just telling him that it is one of the most uh, famous twists of all time. Yeah. And I'm going to use twist here because it is. Because it surprised almost everyone. It worked so well. And it deepened everything. Like, rarely do you have a twist that comes so out of left field that, you know, 99% of the audience is completely surprised if they haven't seen the movie before right. or had it ruined. And no one goes, wait a minute. Everyone goes, oh. <laughs> you know, and you can kind of feel that. And it's just, it's really, really well written. Yeah, great accomplishment. Yes. And it was uh, definitely inconsiderate. The, the top three, my top three... Could have all been in the number one position for me. Okay. The Village, The Sixth Sense, and my number one, which is Unbreakable, Process of Elimination. And Unbreakable is the one I've seen, and it's, it's 
it's a lot more times than any of the other ones. The Village comes in second. Um, and Unbreakable, to me, seemed like the Sixth Sense won M. Night the ability to do whatever he wanted. Yeah. And he made Unbreakable. And it was this kind of offbeat comic book movie, basically. You know, again, spoiler alert in some ways, but superhero origin story. Yeah. Unlike any that had ever been done, because not a lot had been done at that point, but unlike any that had been done since. And that's that's saying something. Um, a lot of people, if you find lists of the best comic book movies ever, if they count Unbreakable in that list, or they call it superhero movies, it's regularly in the top of those lists. The top three, sometimes the top one, top five, or whatever. It's its pace is very deliberate, but it's the movie making that actually pushes it up to number one for me. Tons of long takes, tons of great shots, lots of two shots, great use of rack focus, um, a lot of the signature humor, some scenes like Jake talked about. The, this, this train station scene blows my mind just with its, not only the music, but with its use of color, with its, the thematic kind of, uh, 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 reverberations that the scene has. Um, the final scene where a, a certain character goes, to, I'm trying to be, you know, a little spoiler free. A certain character goes to like help out some people he believes to be in trouble. And there's some cool stuff with like um, uh, weaknesses. And then this incredible shot where this character stands up in the rain and it's this perfect superhero shot but not in the way you would expect. I mean, I've seen it so many times and like every time there are scenes and I love the still, I, I showed a lot in my film lit class and I love the stillness in the room for the last 20 minutes. Even, you know, the slacker students, no offense if you're listening, people, everyone's in, right. everyone's in. And it's, you can hear a pin drop in there and I'm usually doing work and I stop and I got to watch the end. Because he just built so slowly this thing. And there are some cool, small revelations about things. Um, and just... And then Samuel L. Jackson is... is uh, I don't know. He has to be a lot of different things in the movie. Yeah. And you have to believe him in a lot of different ways. I, I have actually asked my students before. Like, could this movie actually... Could the main character actually be Samuel L. Jackson? If you watch the movie again... Bruce Willis is the main character, but Samuel Jackson is given almost equal screen time, and the majority of the flashbacks, with the exception of, I think, one, are flashbacks to Samuel L. Jackson when That's he true. was younger. The opening scene of the movie is a flashback to when Samuel L. Jackson was born, even before Bruce Willis is on a train at the beginning. If you don't know the premise, Bruce, Will Bruce, Bruce, Willis. Bruce Willis is on a train at the beginning, and the train crashes. This is the first 10 minutes, so no spoilers. And everybody dies but him. But before that scene, they open with Samuel L. Jackson's character being born. And I love the rhythms of the story because it seems like M. Night isn't, he doesn't care what would normally happen. Yeah. He's going to do what serves the story next. And then this thing that serves the story next. And then I'm going to do this thing. There's a fantastic flashback to when Samuel Jackson's character is like a kid. And it has so much great camera work in it with the with the shots and the angles and the long takes. He's looking into a TV screen and they're shooting from the mm, reflection. Yeah. And then he's backlit when he goes outside. And then he goes outside to get this comic book. And when he opens... Well, it's a present. He doesn't know what it is. Spoiler alert. And he opens it and it's a comic book. And we're looking at him from the top and the comic book's upside down. But the camera starts spinning and it spins with it. So after he can see it, we it's still upside down to yeah. us and the camera has to keep spinning. It was shot by Eduardo Serra, who also shot uh, Harry, the last two Harry Potters. And he shot What Dreams May Come. And he shot The Wings of the Dove. And he shot Girl with a Pearl Earring. He is a master. And he's especially a master of movies that are more slowly paced. Because his shots kind of develop in a way you don't expect. They use a lot of comic book framing in it, too. Um, and and then the comic books are are a living, breathing part of the world that, that Jake, Jake mentioned this earlier. When we have, like, the Avengers movies, rarely are we seeing the comic... I love the Avengers movies. Rarely are we seeing comic books yeah. being as part of this world. The world that Bruce Willis and Samuel L. Jackson live in is the world we live in with comic books. And those comic books are in the movie, 
And those comic books are a huge part of Samuel Jackson's life. They helped him, you know, grow up. They helped him live through the things he struggled with um, in his life because he's had some, he has some physical issues. Um, the way they mess with costuming and using the production design to deepen some of those same comic book themes is masterful because it's all subtle but so obvious. So the movie ends, you watch it again, you understand you know, what they were trying to do, and suddenly you see this entire new comic book world that opens to you. Yeah. And the car that Samuel Jackson drives, and the stuff that Bruce Willis wears, and the backstory for both of them. Uh, <laughs> I, I just, I think, it, to me, it, it was the height of M. Night's powers as far as it was before any of the backlash. Yeah. And so you made the sixth sense. Everyone loves it. You can do whatever you want. He was unleashed as far as creativity. He did something wholly new with the comic book story before everyone went crazy with comic books. And then everything after that has at least some element of a chip on his shoulder. Yeah. Because Unbreakable wasn't as well received. Critics were pretty kind to it. It didn't make as much money. So it was like, oh, was he a one-trick pony? People didn't like the kind of surprise at the end as much. In Unbreakable, there is a little surprise at the end. People didn't like it. So Signs is a reaction to that. And then Signs did pretty well. Um, the Village is the closest next thing to him being unleashed because Signs did pretty well. And then from then on, he's been reacting to the meanness and yeah. stuff. And I could go... I mean, I could do... Yeah. I, I Unbreakable to me is... Um, the filmmaking is what makes it a masterpiece. Like he is just on the top of his game the entire time and he's pulling from everyone, the production designer, the cinematographer, the actors, their best stuff. Yeah. And and it's you know, it's entrancing to me it's every all time. Good. Yeah, it's very good. Can I ask you what you think of the little biopic epilogue sentences that happen at the very end? Oh, uh, I don't mind them. You don't mind them? Okay. No, no, no. Well let's let's say this. So We've, we've, we're, this is long. I'm going to split this podcast know, into two. Sorry, I'm going to split it into two. I'm going to split it into two. We are about to go. Okay. So we're at, we're at 152 ish here. We're going to go eight minutes spoiler. So if you are, if you are good, if you haven't seen split. Goodbye. You should probably not listen to the rest of this. No. Okay. You can, you're if you're that to. person. No. <laughs> You can't. <laughs> you have to go experience it for yourself. Okay, we're going to go from now to the end. It may not it may be more than 7 minutes, but from now to the end, if you haven't seen Split, we're going to we're going to sign off. Thank you for listening. This is the Rogo Tours podcast. We love M Night Shyamalan. Thank you if you made it through both parts now the two parts of this yeah. this podcast. <laughs> the unexpected two. We, <laughs> we appreciate you staying with us. We we had a lot of love, so we had a lot to say. But we're going to discuss some split spoilers right now that are relevant to some of the other things we've been talking about. So come back to us around February 18th, 19th. Let us know when you would most likely be around to watch a Facebook Live. We'll, we'll podcast it too, but we're going to get dressed up. We're going to pass around some envelopes. We're going to have some fun with it. So we'd love, we'd love for you to join us. Let us know what the best time of day or week would be for us to do that. Uh, if you haven't seen Split, we love you, but go. Spoiler time. So... The words at the end. Let's talk about that first. Yeah. I don't mind them. Okay. Like, to me, I understand that people are, like, disappointed. Like, you set up this comic book world, and then you just put them in jail or whatever, right? I mean, is that what the well, struggle I just, I mostly just meant that it happens, like, at all. I just, it was just unexpected. That it's even there. Time. Yeah. Right. It just felt out of place. Right. Anyway, well, I think, but I now I think the idea was... I think the idea wasn't, I don't know, I'm not an M. Night's head, uh, I wish I were, just kidding. But I think the idea was, we set up a real world, and in this realistic world, he sends him to jail. Right. Okay. And he's like, I just want you to know that. Like, yeah. I'm not saying like, and now they're going to duel for years. Like, that'd be fun. Yeah. That'd be cool. But would that be with, in keeping with the reality I've set up as right. a writer and as a director? And I think no. Could he have shown him go to jail? Sure. But the movie's pretty long. I mean, it's an hour and 45 minutes yeah. or whatever. And it's just basically, you get the surprise. They're gone. I mean, uh, you know, you find out which... I guess if you're still here... We're in the spoiler oh, section. We're in the spoiler section. So if you're still listening now and you haven't seen Unbreakable, yeah, you may want to <laughs> leave. I don't know. 
But, you know, we've established at that point that Samuel Jackson is this very villainous guy who believes I'm supposed to be a comic book villain. Yeah. But David Dunn still lives in the world, even though he has seen I have these gifts and I'm supposed to help. I still live in the world of law and order. Right. I don't have these comic book delusions. And in order to keep that kind of verisimilitude, I think he was just letting us know, oh, yeah, David definitely turns him into the police. Dude goes to jail. Yeah. Because David Dunn, yes, his destiny was unlocked by Samuel Jackson, which I love, but he still lives in Philadelphia in yeah. 20, 2000, right. 2002, 2000, yeah. 2000. 2000. Um, he still lives in Philadelphia in 2000, so he's going to put the guy away. He's not going to be like, and now we will, you know, like, oh, no, 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 you just told me you did all these terrible things, and I'm yeah. going to put you away. Right. And I, I'm, not, I'm not the vehicle with which that was delivered. The vehicle isn't the word I was looking for, but yeah. the way in which that delivered, maybe it could have been more elegant. But I just thought that he was letting us know, like, the world I established of reality continues to be in play here. Yeah, sure. Even though we have now seen that this is very comic booky more than we thought, he's still a dude yeah. who believes in the laws of the land. Right. That so it, it never bothered me in that way. Yeah. I was just curious because I no, didn't no, expect it. But now talking about that in the context of Split... Yeah, so Split, if you're still with us, Split is a backdoor sequel to, or sequel is strong, a backdoor part of the series, part of the world. Part of the unbreakable universe. Yeah, the unbreakable universe, thank you. That's the word, that's the cinematic word we use now, the unbreakable universe. It comes after the credits, Split ends up being this setup of a comic book e comic book-y villain. Right. Um, uh, hopefully you turned it off if you haven't seen Split. We're explicit. It, we're right. very explicit. Uh, James McAvoy is set up as this comic booky villain. The entire thing is a villain origin story. Yeah. When we left the theater, Jake was like, did M. Night just revolutionize comic book movies? <laughs> and it's funny because if you go read interviews, M. Night has basically said, like, the idea of a traditional sequel wasn't interesting to me. Right. And he also said that uh, the character James McAvoy plays was in the original Unbreakable script. Crazy. Which you read, I'm sure. The did script itself? No, oh, did okay. you read that? that <laughs> uh, part yeah, of the, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Okay. And he said it just didn't fit. I, I didn't have room for all these characters. Right. And so, you know, I just had the one antagonist, Samuel Jackson. We got rid of Kevin. Kevin, right? Yeah. Kevin. That was a revelation. And my sister, who we talk about a lot and has been on the podcast, she said, her friend she saw it with, when the movie ended... She knew Unbreakable was near and dear to my heart. Mm -hmm. She said she turned to them and said, my brother's going to lose it. <laughs> I called her right after when I got in the car, right after, right after we left. I mean, what a cool way. Can you recall? We don't know everything here, and we haven't done the research, I don't think, mm -hmm. but can you recall a movie that wasn't known to be involved in the same universe and then springs it on you at the end ever? No. Question mark? I can't like pe people knew that what they were gonna do with Marvel beforehand, right? I think like, so. Yeah, maybe so. Iron Man didn't, but Iron Man also didn't really expand. Yeah, it's not like another movie came. I think maybe the first time a credit sequence character, a character appeared in one of those stingers, maybe it was a surprise. Mm -hmm. But people, yeah, maybe. But it's, it's still different, possible. though. Because but I still this think it's so very different because this movie feels like its own thing. Yeah. And and what's funny about the end, you know, when you watch after the credits, Bruce Willis shows up. And what's funny about the end is then it suddenly all makes perfect sense. Like, oh, yeah, this movie was just like Unbreakable. Right. Totally normal world. Let's set up the reality of all of this. Yeah. And then let's use real world things that have played into the creation of villains, the creation of monsters, the reason that they are, he's, he's played on a little bit of sympathy for James McAvoy, who mm -hmm. ends up being uh, pretty rough at the end. And he, there, he, he uh -oh. kills a bunch of Is it still going? characters in the movie. Yeah. But at the same, but you're also just like, it's not his fault. Kind of. Yes. He, he plays on your sympathies for the characters. Yeah. And um, for the character, pardon me. Sorry, we were. I was messing with the uh, our recording apparatus was giving me some guff, <laughs> and so I, I lost my train of thought and I apologize. But he gets you to feel some sympathy for him, rips that sympathy away, not that it all leaves, and then and then my favorite part, 
of all uses the music from Unbreakable. Yeah. Where I felt very arrogant in it and I thought, oh, M. Night's just giving some love to those Unbreakable fans like myself. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I didn't think it was even going to pay off. I yeah. thought it was just a wink. Right. You know, like, I wasn't even connecting that and maybe some people did i just i've seen unbreakable so many times it's like oh my gosh this is the unbreakable music well i think you turned to me and said oh it's the unbreakable music and i was just like why you know, <laughs> I know. and then but then like right after that yeah it showed well, bruce willis in space when bruce like, willis before bruce willis says mr glass i said yeah. mr glass right and the thing is i wasn't sure how i felt about it because i was so blindsided yeah because i hadn't even like processed what that would even mean right or thought that it was even possible or had any inkling of a thought that there would ever be a cinematic universe again for unbreakable and so it took me a while to be blown away yeah it was like later i mean even as we talked about it i was still processing and it wasn't until i was talking to my sister and i got home like holy cow what genius genius creativity so genius because not only was he able to make a full-length thriller movie that didn't hinge on a Shyamalan twist. Stands on its own. Stands on its own is a great movie. Doesn't necessarily have a twist in it, but then he still got to throw in a completely mind-blowing Shyamalan twist, but one that is a twist because it functions on like what we know about the real world and his other movies, you know, yeah. like rather than changing... Rather than changing the story and potentially turning the movie into a magic trick. It, yes. It was the something... story stays exactly the same. Yeah. And it just connects it to this other world thematically, stylistically, and then sequel setup. Yeah. Which feels like a cash grab, but the movie feels nothing like a cash no. grab. Well, it's not a cash grab because no, it's, it's freaking not. unbreakable. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> you know? which didn't make a lot of money. <laughs> yeah. And that's the thing is you can watch Split. And, and, and M. Knight said in the interviews that when he screened it, he didn't even screen it with the end. Because oh, okay. you don't need the end. Split no, stands don't. on its own. Yeah. My, I asked Eric, Eric Wood, who's been on the podcast, I, I said, like, you, he hasn't seen Unbreakable. And I said, like, do, did the ending mean anything to you? And he said, well, I mean, I knew it was Bruce Willis, so I knew it was Unbreakable, but that's it. Mm. But he still liked it. Yeah. Because it, you don't need it. No. Split stands on its own. It's pretty terrifying in some spots. It has some really interesting themes about, like, what childhood trauma does to us. And it, and it plays with that on multiple levels, which is really fun. And, and it's very dark, very, very dark. And, and so was Unbreakable, especially in the end. Both movies have kind of a la- the last 20, 25 minutes that are very dark, very realistic, very scary because they make you think about the real world other than, other, other than you know, being able to dismiss it when you la- leave, like, oh, capes and shields and yeah. stuff. Um, it's harder to dismiss them. And so it's, it's, it's all of those things on its own, completely on its own as far as Split goes. And then, oh yeah, by the way. And, and you know, for an Unbreakable fan like myself, and obviously you liked Unbreakable yeah. a lot, it was just joyful to think like, oh, no, we're revisiting the world that I've lived in for <laughs> 16 years, yeah. you know? And invited, a, I really did get a lot of, jolt hoping that some of my former students went oh mr durham is gonna love this like i really did because i was like i have i have shared the love for unbreakable as uh, as much as i've been able to right and and to see split like at least allow people like me and you uh, that have love for unbreakable to like ex- you know hopefully experience an extension of that world yeah. in a way that we never expected was just cool yeah i'll be very interested to see what and how he does it yeah. you know because if you already established a villain and you're bringing bringing that into a story about an already established hero sort of you know yeah i don't i don't know how he'll do that and keep the feel of unbreakable you know of being low-key and more about the human drama than about action you know there's not even action in unbreakable you know yeah, yeah so i mean i hope it doesn't turn into just a action movie bash fest you know right, fighting. Right. i don't think it will and it's hard to know because yeah those movies hinged on what you just talked about yeah and but now we have to have a, a face-off or whatever and is is samuel l jackson gonna be in it is right, he gonna be yeah. a part of it like i don't know he's apparently still in jail right at least that's what's hinted yeah. at at the end is that he's still in jail but yeah, it made me like, oh my gosh, like if you, and then if you pull this off, if he pulls this off, 
everyone's in again. Yeah. Everyone who hated After Earth and Lady in the Water and yeah. The Last Airbender and The Happening and uh, Wide Awake. <laughs> everyone's in after that, right? When he pulls out, it's, it, it will be like the greatest magic trick of, yeah, of M. True. Night's career. It's true. Reviving his career with the movie that originally made people mad, yeah. <laughs> you know, in a small way. I know worse things happen right. down the line. No, but but the movie that originally made people think, ah, he's a one-trick pony, like, to be able to revive it with this this other movie that feels so different for so long of its running time. Yeah. So, you know, if you're still with us, we'd love to hear what you thought about <laughs> Oh, yeah, Split you're still there. And Unbreakable. <laughs> and we're going to end, because we had to already cut this into two, so I'll, I'll even record a new intro for the second half. Okay. Um, and... Uh, uh, thank you. Thank you for listening to one or both parts of our yeah, M. Night Shyamalan ranking. It out. Yeah, and uh, go visit some of these movies if you haven't seen them. And don't don't just rely, you know, we say avoid Airbender and The Happening and Wide Awake. Jake would say be very wary of After Earth and Lady in the Water. But still um, do them. But I would say, yeah, you know, try these movies out, especially if you've had any love for any of his movies before and, and look at them as far as... Uh, uh, a pretty masterful filmmaker confidently trying all kinds of new things. Yeah. Agreed. All right. Thanks a lot. Thanks for listening. Peace.